Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to begin by saying a huge thank you. Uh, a crew, a group of, of you volunteers, you know who you are, came to our new building yesterday, and we laid over 5,000 square feet of carpet uh, in one day of the squares. Not only that, but we have a bunch of new chairs for our new building that were individually wrapped, and we had some great servants working hard unwrapping those. A lot of work got done. Uh, we are really looking forward to, in a few weeks, being in that new building, uh, being in there, we'll probably be live streaming from there. Who knows where we'll be with this whole quarantine. Uh, but we do know next time we're all together, it'll be in that building. Uh, and we are looking forward to probably a prayer time there together, but with social distancing uh, before we meet for the first time. So look for that. That's coming. Um, we are going to continue in Nehemiah. So grab your Bible open to Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament if you would, and we're going to be looking at a little bit of chapter 2. Now, if uh, you've heard me at all in this last year, you know that our family had kind of a big adventure over the last year and a half or so. Well, we built a home, and it was uh, an exciting time where we sold our house. Uh, we moved into an RV on this property for six months while we built and constructed, and we got to design, you know, of course, with a professional, but, but design what we wanted and, and then help build it and now landscape and all that stuff. And what I learned through this with my wife, Callie, is, you know, we would have just the floor down and I'd say, you know, this is the great room and we're going to have a fireplace there and the ceiling and the ceiling's going to look like this. And I could describe what it was going to look like. And she just said, I... I just can't really see it. I said, well, picture it. Close your eyes and picture the room, you know, and there will be a couch. Well, will there be enough space for this or that? Of course, because it's, and for I, maybe you are married and you have, one of you is a visionary and one of you isn't as much. I could kind of close my eyes and see it, but she really needed me to build things. So I'd lay down a piece of wood and go, here's where the couch is. And I'd lay out another, here's where the counter is and, and try and actually see it and get a picture but it's so much fun, at least for me, to have a vision for something and then work toward it and in the end go, this is what we pictured. But let me ask you this. Maybe that's fun for you, having a vision and working through and then looking at the finished product. But something like a house is temporary. You know, someday we're going to sell the house or it might burn down or we're going to die and we can't take it with us. What about eternal visions? What about visions for what God might do in and through us that we can work toward something great, something awesome for God's glory and the benefit of other people? Do we have those kinds of visions? You know, as we are looking in the book of Nehemiah, this is kind of our theme as we run through the whole book. Is, is a holy discontent is what we're calling it. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, if you remember the story and you'll see it going forward, but Nehemiah had a vision uh, to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And so he had this picture of what needed to be, what could be, and what should be, and then he was willing to go let God use him to help make this happen. So for us, we're looking for a, a holy discontent, which is a vision outside of ourselves of what could be and what should be, a, a vision, a picture there, you know, and it often it'll start with a problem, and, and here's where things should be for God's glory and the benefit of others. I'm not talking about a vision for, you know, a healthy lawn or uh all the, the wild horses to be taken care of in Nevada, or, you know, not that that's a bad thing, but a holy vision, a godly vision is something for God's glory and the benefit 
of people. And so we're looking for this. And sometimes I know there's been some conversation around this holy discontent and go, I don't understand it. I can't grasp it. And there's some holy discontents that are going to be common for all of us. Uh, We want to grow in holiness. We want sin out of our lives. If we're married, we want our marriages to thrive because really our marriages are the best picture of Christ and the church we have in this world. You know, we want our kids to grow up knowing Christ. So a lot of these holy discontents can be, you know, feels like smaller but very significant. But then some of those are going to be bigger and greater. And so today... We're going to be continuing and and looking at how we can be used greatly by God, you know, and how we can get a a vision of what could be and what should be. And so we started, uh, last week we took a break, but we began in Nehemiah chapter 1, and Nehemiah had heard in chapter 1, he was was in Susa, he is uh, the cupbearer to the king of Persia, it's probably Artaxerxes. Uh, and he's his cupbearer. He's a close confidant. He's a servant. Uh, he would test uh, the, the king's wine, eat his food, just to make sure it wasn't poisoned, and then give it to him. He was comfortable. This was a position that, that came with accolades. It, it came with comfort. He was comfortable in this, this area of Susa. But he was a Jew. And at heart, he belonged to Christ. And he was passionate about God. And the nation of Israel... Uh, in Jerusalem now, they were moving from exile. Those who wanted were coming from exile, the other nations, back to Jerusalem to restore really the people, the Jews, the people of God and God's name because Jerusalem, that city and, and his people represented him to the world. And so for it to thrive was great for God's name and again for his people. And so, so Nehemiah had this passion for that. And we saw as we, as we want to be used by God, as we're searching for, for a holy discontent, again, where we can step and be used by God, it begins, like Nehemiah, with a dislocated heart. Nehemiah didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived somewhere else comfortable, but he wasn't stuck there. He wasn't consumed with all the stuff around him. He had his eyes on what God would have. So for us, it's the same. We are exiles. We are sojourners and aliens on this earth, and we should have a dislocated heart, meaning we, we care more about God's kingdom th- than our kingdom, than our worldly things. And so, again, we develop this dislocated heart, passionate about what God is passionate about. And then the next thing that we saw is it takes a broken spirit. Our second week looking at Nehemiah, again, in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see Nehemiah praying. So he, he got this news from Jerusalem. He's in Susa. The news is that the wall is torn down. It breaks his heart. He begins to weep and mourn and pray for four months. And so you have a dislocated heart. You care about what God cares about more than worldly things. But then this broken spirit, and and a broken spirit is one that is humbly dependent on God and cares about the things that God cares about. And it often comes out in prayer. And so Nehemiah began to pray, God, this situation is not right, and I can't do anything about it, but you can, and so I'm going to give it to you and pray. And so for us, as we look around and we see problems, we see things, do we go to God in prayer? Our prayers, are they about God's glory? Are they about worshiping him? Are they about asking him to work and do his things? Or are our prayers about our own wants and our own needs and our own problems and our own loneliness? And and those are good things to pray about. We should pray about those things. But those all kind of come after praying for God's will to be done. Well, now we're moving. And we are hauling today. We're going to look at four verses. Now, it's okay. Over the next weeks, we're going to cover full chapters at a time and more than a chapter. But here, we're going to see the next thing needed to be used greatly by God on this earth, the third thing is a radical faith. Again, a dislocated heart, a broken spirit, 
And now we're going to see a radical faith. And a radical faith, this is one that is willing to take risks to see a godly vision become reality. Again, you probably know this if you've lived very long. Anything of significance done on this earth takes risk. Anything of significance is going to be hard. People are going to come against you. It's not going to be easy. And it's going to cost. And so this week, let me read just four verses. I'm going to start with three verses. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 3. But I want to ask this question before we start to read. Are you willing to take risks to progress God's agenda? Again, Nehemiah was comfortable. This book is so relevant to us as Americans. We can be pretty comfortable in our American churches, in our American homes. We don't have a lot of opposition right now. And so, are you willing to take risks to progress God's agenda? Nehemiah 2, 1 through 3. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is not nothing but sadness of the heart. Listen, then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this true story that happened hundreds of years ago. But we see Nehemiah, a man of faith, a, a normal guy. We don't see miracles in this book. A normal guy who trusted you and pursued you. And, and I ask that his heart would be our heart. That, that we would be passionate about what you're passionate about to the point that we will sacrifice our lives to follow you because we already belong to you. Jesus, you already died on the cross, rose from the dead. You purchased us out of slavery to sin and death, and now we belong to you. And with that security and that hope and that confidence, now we want to be used by you for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Look here, kind of the key in these three verses is he was very much afraid. Uh, what Nehemiah does here is very, very significant. And we're going to see some principles here of developing a holy discontent to be used by God. But here's the thing, this, uh, this king, Artaxerxes, if you've seen the movie 300 or maybe some others, uh, the Persian king there was Xerxes, that was Artaxerxes' great-grandfather. And here's something you need to know about Persian kings. They were total rulers, and they were fairly emotional and, and went with their whims, and it could cost people their lives. If you read the book of Esther, the book of Esther, Esther is in the kingdom of Persia, and she ends up being a queen because the other queen didn't do something the king wanted, and she was gone. Uh, and, and Esther was going to go into the presence of the king, but you weren't even supposed to do that. If you walked into the presence of the king without being asked, you could die. In fact, Xerxes, at one point, he was trying to attack Greece, and they were building a bridge over a strait. And uh, as they were building, a storm came, and the sea came up and destroyed the bridge. Well, he got so mad, he took all the engineers, had them beheaded, and then he had the sea flogged. Somebody went and whipped the sea 300 times. So these are not real rational kings. And so here, Nehemiah... He is the cupbearer to the king. Your job, if you're serving a king, is to be happy all the time. 
especially if you're checking for poison. You don't want to look sad. You, you're happy. You're here for him. You're making his life good. Nehemiah here, for four months, had been praying and mourning over the story he heard about Jerusalem being in ruins. And here he chooses, this is the time to maybe do something about it. And so he, he, he's looking sad. This was very, very risky for him to do. But again, Nehemiah had a dislocated heart. His heart already belonged to God and wanted what God wanted. He had a broken spirit. He had been praying for God to do something about the wall and about Jerusalem. And here he's willing to go, well, maybe me. If you want to send me, I'm willing. This is kind of cool. Ezekiel 2230. Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet who was in exile. This was about 100 years before this time, and he was prophesying this. Ezekiel wrote, and this is God through Ezekiel. So God is saying, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God had been looking in our first week, uh, we looked at in 2 Chronicles, where it says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he could find a heart completely his so he can give all of his support behind that person here. He had been looking for somebody that would stand up for Jerusalem. The wall was torn down. There were breaches, meaning holes in the wall. And he wanted somebody to, to symbolically or even literally stand in that breach for the people and, and pray to God. Well, Nehemiah had been doing that for four months, standing in the breach, praying to God for the people. But here's the thing. A lot of times you get a broken spirit for something, a, a holy discontent, and you start to give it to God in prayer, you may be the one that God says, stand in the breach. I, I've been looking for somebody. Stand in the breach. Maybe something is stirring your heart. And you, you've been thinking for maybe for years, somebody should do something about this. And maybe you're realizing, maybe it's on your heart so strong because you're the one. You're the one God wants to stand in the breach, beginning with prayer, you know, humble brokenness before him, but then possibly taking a, a risky step of faith. Because that's what we, saw, we see here, is Nehemiah takes a, a risk. He takes a step. Now, this wall had been torn down for 140 years. Other people had seen it torn down. Other people knew God wanted to restore it. Uh, other people knew what had been prophesied, that if you repent, you come back to me. God said, I will restore you and restore the city. But nobody else was willing to go, here I am, send me. Nobody else was, was broken enough about it, but Nehemiah is. So as we look at just these verses, here's the question we want to ask. How can you develop a radical faith that results in God doing great things. This is very, very applicable to us. We're going to see some very, some handles that you can apply to your life and I can apply in my, my life. How can you develop a radical faith that results in God doing great things? Now, I want to look just real quick at verse 4 because he takes this risk and, and, and he could die. The king could say, hey, you look sad. Bring me a new wine taster. And we're going to see more next week. Nehemiah had been planning what to do if the king responded favorably. He had been planning and working towards something as well as praying. And here the king responds in verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And we're going to stop there for the day. And we're going to see what he goes to next. But the king responds favorably. He took this risk. And now he's going to take some more risks. He's going to ask for the kingdom credit card. He's going to ask for letters uh, to the, the people in that area who had already stopped the building of the wall. He's going to have some big asks here, but he takes a step. So how can we develop this? The first one we see is how long did it take? 
for him with his dislocated heart and after his, his spirit is broken for this wall, how long did it take for him to do something? Four months. Four months. Uh, uh, Chislev, you see in 1-1, was probably November, December. Now it's the month of Nisan, which is probably March, April, somewhere in there. Four months he had been waiting. So what had he been doing during those four months and for all the years before that? He had been doing his job. Uh, not, not a religious job, not a spiritual job. He had been serving the king, of per, a pagan king, and doing good. So here's the first principle. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. You know, what job do you have? What roles do you have uh, as a mother, as a student, as a child to your parents? What other roles as a, as a neighbor, as a worker, uh, construction, intro? We could go down the list. Where are you? Bloom where you're planted. You may want to be somewhere else. You may want to do something else. But our role as Jesus followers is to do all things for the glory of God. Bloom where you're planted. This is one of those principles of Scripture and of life that we need to be faithful with a little before we can be entrusted with much. And so bloom where you're planted, meaning work to the best of your ability in your current roles and positions. I've seen this many times in life. You know, people not happy with where they're at, and so they're just, just getting by. They're not glorifying God with their, their hard work, and they're looking for opportunities to serve God where they're at. Bloom where you're planted. Now, this is where I'm going to pick on Tyler a little bit. Uh, if you tuned in late, when this is over, scroll back to the beginning, and you can meet Tyler. We had him up here. Uh, but Tyler, uh, we were talking, and this is really the first church he's ever been a part of. And he's been here for about two years, but pretty quickly after Tyler came here and, and was really, as he would say, going all in with his faith, falling in love with Jesus, he pretty quickly got involved with the youth ministry. And he did a great job at it. And again, I didn't even tell him all the things I was going to say. Uh, but at one point he called and he came over and we sat down at a picnic table and he said, how can I be better? You know, what can I read? What can I do to be better at this? You know, it was an opportunity. Then at some point, he, he had this vision, because he, he has skills with, with tech stuff, uh, which I don't have. And he had this vision of, you know what, our church should live stream the services. And so he started small. He was bringing his own computer, uh, setting up a camera, and making it work. Well, who knew that this quarantine was going to happen, and we were going to need to live stream and do quality work? Well, as soon as this whole quarantine happened, Tyler had already been working on it. He had already been blooming where he was planted, taking advantage of the opportunities he had to try and drive a godly vision forward. Now, because of our new building, we had already bought a better camera. All he had to do was set it up, and, and I say all he had to do for me, sitting back, it's all he had to do. But all this stuff, that's just one example of things that, that may feel small but extremely significant. What opportunities do you have to serve God? Are you blooming where you're planted? Now, here's the second one. Again, for, for four months, and before that, what was God doing? So Nehemiah, was blue, he was doing a good job. He was blooming where he was planted. What was God doing? God was preparing him. So here's the second principle. Be willing to slow down and let God prepare you. You know, sometimes people get a vision, they get excited, and they just run forward, but they're not ready. You know, is God calling you to the ministry? Is God calling you to missions work? Well, guess what? There's some things that you need to do to prepare. It may be going to school. It may be uh, reading certain books. It may be being discipled. It may be learning a language of where God would send you, but we need to prepare. So let God prepare you for what he would have you do. 
You know, the truth is, for me, I, I knew when I was 16 years old, I was called to ministry. But it was 20 years later before we planted Common Ground. And again, I, I hope God was using me throughout all those years. I hope I was blooming where I was planted, you know, and we were looking for opportunities to serve. But then 20 years later, God really gave us a vision for what he wanted to do through his church in the Carson City, Carson Valley area. And that's kind of how Common Ground came about. But he was preparing me in many ways before that. I read through scripture. You know, you see Moses for 40 years as a shepherd. God was preparing him to later lead his people, millions of them, through that same area. He knew where the water holes were. You know, David. Remember David, when he was a boy, he was also a shepherd. And he would sit there with the sheep and he would practice with that slingshot probably hours at a time. Until that one day when he walked up still as a, a boy, uh, as an adolescent, and there's a giant taunting the, the king uh, uh, and, and God's people, God's army. And he goes, what's up with this guy? And he goes and he collects his stones and he goes out against this giant with the sling. God had been preparing him before as he was defending sheep. So he was ready. He knew how to use that slingshot. Now, again, it was God who showed up. Same as with Nehemiah. Same as with anything you or I will do of glory. It'll be God working through us. But let's slow down at times and let God prepare us. Now, here's the other principle. Three, be faithful and obedient now to the clear instructions in Scripture. Now, we see in Nehemiah before and moving forward, Nehemiah knew the Bible. Uh, really, the Old Testament, written to that time. He knew God's promises. He knew what God said he would do. And are we being faithful and obedient to the clear instructions in Scripture? Again, we're going to see this in some weeks of what sin can do in a church, in God's people, in individuals, in families. But we need to be faithful to what we already know. Again, remember, character is not built in a day, but it's built daily. If we're not faithful in the little things... And why would we expect God to use us for greater things? Do you have sinful addictions that you're refusing to deal with? That's significant. We need to deal with those. Do you have relational issues going on that you need God to do something about? It's time to deal with those. But we need to be obedient now to the clear instructions in Scripture. And that's no little thing. And then the last one, four, and this is our real big point today. A radical faith is willing to take risks to see a godly vision become reality. Nehemiah here took a big risk. He put his neck on the line by going before the king. Big deal. When is the last time you or I, we, when is the last time we did something? We moved forward with a godly vision, something for God's glory and the benefit of people, you know, that, that reveals his heart, but that if God didn't show up, it would fail. Or do we want to be so safe before we take those steps? You know, here's the thing you see throughout Scripture. God shows up almost always after the first step is taken. You know, the nation of Israel was going to cross the River Jordan, and God told them to go. Well, when the priests first carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant, when they stepped into that river, being obedient to what he had told them to do, after they were wading in probably ankle deep, then it was dried up upstream, and they walked across on dry land. But it was after they took those steps of faith. So a radical faith is willing to take risks to see a godly vision become reality. And you see how this starts to end up. The king says to Nehemiah in verse 4, what is it you want? Well, well, boom, he took the step. It's looking good. He sends up another prayer. Why? Because he has a broken spirit. He's dependent on God. He knows where all the power comes from. 
And you're going to see that throughout the rest of this book as he always refer, refers back to what God is doing. Remember our God. Remember his strength. Remember his power. This is God's vision, not mine. So what godly vision is God giving us that maybe we need to take a radical step of faith? That might cost. It might cost financially. It might cost our time. It might cost our reputation. But is there something right now that God wants you to take a risky step of faith? Maybe it's sharing your faith with somebody. Maybe you've been watching this for a while and church isn't your thing and you're thinking, I, I might need to take this step of faith to say yes to Jesus for the first time. That is a radical step of faith because if you do, others will come against you. If you do, God is gonna start to change your heart and point him your direction. It is a big, big deal, but it's worth it. Jesus died for us. Jesus purchased us because of his blood on the cross and his gift is life to us and we have confidence and hope in him for eternity and now. And so all we can do is say, here's our life. What would you do through us? So let's be ready. Hey, God is moving right now. This quarantine doesn't surprise him. That, that we have a, a new space where we can have more people, that's no surprise. That we have a new youth pastor coming, awesome. God is at work. How are you gonna be part of God at work? here and where you are. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you. I thank you for the visions, uh, the pictures in scripture of normal people being used greatly by you. Uh, I, I really appreciate as I read your word, there's rarely somebody that pops out and goes, this person is just so amazing God uses them. You use broken people. You use prostitutes. You use murderers. You use adulterers. And that gives us so much hope that we can turn to you that you can make us whole, that you can heal us of our sin, that our past addictions we can get through because of your help, and then you'll use us to do great things. God, we want to be used by you. We want to stand with you in the end, and we want to hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you carried out my visions for my glory. God, not for our own accolades, not for our own reputation or financial success, but for your glory and the benefit of people. Show us where you want us to go and give us the courage that in the midst of fear, to take radical steps of faith for you. Jesus, you are worth it. I pray if anybody is watching today that needs to say yes to you for the first time, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would take that radical step of faith to say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead, and I now give my life to you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Now lead me, and I will follow you. Give everyone right now watching the courage to do that if they need to. We love you. Be glorified now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.